We're not in the business of selling records anymore. No, we're so, not in the business of selling records. So tell me, what are you in the business of? <laughs> uh, there's the question. Our VIP guest of honor today is uh, just a fantastic guitarist, uh, singer, songwriter. Um, he's a he's a music coach as well as an excellent producer. Mr. Andrew Osenga is uh, with us for this next hour. We're going to have an extended interview, um, so we don't have uh, two different artists that we're interviewing this hour. It's just going to be a long form, in depth interview with Andrew. Um, so before I dig into some questions with him, I have a question for you. Where do you think was the first place that I met Andrew Osenga? Just take a wild guess. It was not a normals concert. Uh, it was not a Cademan's call concert. Nope. Uh, if you said Nashville, Tennessee, okay, yes, you are right. But can you be more specific than that? It was not Hutchmoot. No, and it was not a music venue. All right, I'll tell you. It was the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center. <laughs> yes. I believe it was the 2009 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Uh, under the radar, which is what uh, our company's name used to be, uh, that was just sort of a young startup at that time. And we were trying to kind of make a name splash for ourselves at that at that um, broadcasting convention. So we hosted an evening concert in one of the ballrooms um, and we had a few artists on the lineup and one of them was Randall Goodgame. Um, this was right around the time he released the Bluebird EP and uh, he put together a cool little band for to, for him to play his songs. Uh, I believe Stacy Lance was on background vocals for that concert and Andrew Osenga was playing guitars for him. And I knew a little bit about Andrew, um, just from various things, uh, you know, just really kind of actually digging deeper into his music that year prior. So, um, so I uh, did a little backstage interview with him. That was actually the only interview I did, um, for, for that concert. And, uh, uh, so that was, that was my first interaction with Andrew in person and here is a little clip of his music song i'm on your side actually dates back to the year that i met him 2009 um and uh this we're doing this interview to uh, really help shine a spotlight on his kickstarter campaign and brand new album um which is called the painted desert uh the kickstarter campaign 
only releases a few days after we're releasing this interview, which is uh, February 13th is the final day. And that, and you get an instant download of the album of the new album, which is all finished. Um, and there's some other tiers and perks and things you can, uh, be involved with, with the Kickstarter campaign, um, that'll be exclusive to the campaign. So definitely check it out. If you're listening to this after February 13th, unfortunately, you're gonna have to wait a little while. It's not going to release to the public until later, but, on this episode, you will get some song clips of uh, some tracks on the album. And we're not only talking about the album, a lot of interesting topics are explored. So let's dive right in to our conversation with Andrew Osenga. Sometimes I like to put myself in the music fan mode and and say, like, what's that one question that I would want to ask that one artist? Um, cause I used to think that way. Like yeah. if I ever met this artist, I would have to ask him about this song or, or, or tell them this thing. And, and he, here's sort of the, the thing that even today I, I, I want to know of you. And that is, does music move you at all anymore? And, and what I mean by that is, I mean, you, you've been so ingrained i mean you you're so behind the curtain and you 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 so know the nuts and bolts of everything that that sometimes that uh, i'm sure that that affects you know your ability to receive music the way you know a, a general listener would so does music still move you at all man yes so much uh i think in some ways more than it has before but not everything um, and probably not uh-huh. most things so I think that kind of playing so many roles in both the industry and then just sort of as a musician over the years uh, I think I just have a really really high like BS filter and so yeah. <laughs> I think I, I'm pretty quick to be like nope on some things you know and often there are a lot the things that sort of connect with a lot of your ev- everyday listener because I know how the sausage is made, you know, like maybe yeah. worship moments or things like that. Like I just, I don't get into that or, um, but I also know when somebody's really being authentic, when something is really real, like I have a good sense for that. Like, like just this morning I was listening to Taylor Lenhart's record, um, the yeah. river, what's it called? River something. Um, river, river house, river house. And man, just like from the first five seconds, I was, I like had to sit and just stop what I was doing and just listen. I just sat there for like 20 minutes and just listened. And it's just, it's beautiful. And, you know, I know that some of it's that like, I know her a little bit. I know that, you know, I know it's genuine because I know her. Um, So yeah, I mean, I just, I love being moved by music. I mean, that's why we chased this stuff. I think there was, there were a few years where I got pretty cynical or I I got real business. I had a business hat on all the time. And it was hard for me to to take that business hat off and just enjoy. Um, but then, even when I was in that world, I remember hearing the the Dawes record, not the new one, but the last one, the, all your favorite bands, and it like floored me. And it kind of went, "Oh yeah, that's why we like music, because people do this mm. kind of stuff, and it's so good." And I, I would talk forever about with that re- about that record to everybody, you know, and. Um, so yeah, I just love it. I feel like music connects with people in a way that nothing else does. 
And I know for me as an artist, which is not a thing I get to be as much as I used to, there's a part of me that's very real, like a deep part of who I am that kind of only comes out when I'm writing songs and playing music. And um, I think that's a that's an important part of who I am. That's an important part of who God made me to be. And I think to ignore that is to my own detriment. Yeah. So this is like the ultimate meta question, but um, <laughs> do you do you ever um, uh, listen to your own songs that you've recorded maybe in years past, and and do do your own songs ever sort of like speak into your life or minister to you in a fresh way? Um, rarely. Yeah, my own my old songs. Do you know, if I'm if I'm completely honest to you, Dave, the first record I've ever had that I've just no, there's one. Uh, there's a record, uh, um, an e little EP I made a couple years ago called Soul. That I I would listen to that one just for fun. I love it, and mainly it's because I can hear my my friends playing on it, and that yeah, I just really love what they played. So I, I listen to that one sometimes for for fun. Um, and then this new one that I just did, I actually listen to a lot. Um, it's the, it's the most personal thing I've ever done and the most kind of intimate. And I find myself just like wanting to stay in it. Like I wish I wasn't done recording it. So I just keep listening to it. Hmm. And that's kind of yeah. new for me. But I enjoy it. Yeah. I think that that's a, that seems like a normal answer. I think that most artists would, uh, pro- probably don't yeah, spend that's probably true. too much time listening to their own things, but, um, yeah, so that that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, kind of kind of in recent years, you uh, here's here's sort of an interesting thread that's even happened on this very podcast. Some of the people that I've interviewed recently, like John Trost, is one. Um, Christopher Williams is another. Now you, um, all guys who at one point in like the last two or three years said. I think I recorded my last album. I think I'm, I think I'm done recording albums. Yeah, and uh, and and yet everybody has <laughs> continued recording. So so tell me about you deciding. Nope, I'm not done. Well, that's fun because I worked on both of those records too, and um, and I feel like they're some of their best things they've ever done. Uh, right? I feel that yeah, way about totally. mine. I feel like there, there's something about when you get in the machine of have to make a record so I can go tour it so I can make some money so that I can feed my family and then so I can make another record again so that I can go to it. You get in that cycle. And when you pull yourself out of that cycle and then the songs keep coming, you don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just doing it because you, you, you're like, well, I, I just, I just want to do this. And to be honest, some of the records I've made in the last number of years, like I, I, I did them cause I had to, not cause I wanted to, not that I didn't enjoy it or I didn't love them or I wasn't proud of them, but sort of the heart behind it was like looking at the calendar and going, Oh, I'm going to need some new songs versus, Whoa, look what just showed up. And I know that's what happened to Christopher. I know that's what happened to John and, um, same thing happened to me. And so it just feels real genuine, you know? Yeah. So, so let's talk about, about the album now. Um, I, I, I have only lived with it for, for just a short couple days. And one of the things that I immediately loved is, 
you know, I'm, I'm one of the rare ducks that, I mean, I, I put Leonard way up there in like an all time greatest album category. And yet it's not my favorite album of yours. Um, <laughs> just my, just cause it, like just what personally grabbed my heart, the, the letters to the editor album compilation was is sort of like, maybe it was because that was sort of an, the on-ramp for me with your music. Yeah. But, uh, I love those that, records. Those that are some is, of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just love it. So I, I immediately, you know, just sonically have fallen in love with the new album because it sort of has that same feel sonically. Maybe just start talking about the, the music arrangement, sonic landscape that you wanted to create with the album. Yeah, you know, it's it, it was so fun to make because it, I wanted to make a record that felt, well, first of all, I wanted to make a record that was really beautiful. And that's a thing, I think I've had, there have been beautiful moments on things I've made before, but I don't know that you would ever say, that record's just beautiful that I did. And when I go back and listen to some things I've done before, what I hear a lot of is trying to prove myself oh, if people hear this, mm. they're finally going to know I'm a good guitar player. They're finally going to know I'm a good producer. They're finally going to know I'm a good whatever. Like, I hear a lot of kind of me trying to... I hear my I hear my insecurities as loud as I hear anything else in those records. And mm. yeah. I don't know that anybody else is going to hear that, but I know who I was then. And I know why I made the, some of the decisions I made. Um, and so this one, I just was like, I just... I'm okay if people put it on as background music. And that's nothing I've ever been okay with. I've never, you know, nobody wants to be background music. I'm kind of like, man, if I can make something that just the vibe of it, people just want to have on, then great. Let it, put it on like a blanket, you know? And I think that was part of it. And then I wanted it to feel really intimate and up close. Um, but song, like records with just an acoustic guitar and a vocal, unless it's Patty Griffin's first record, I tend to really bore me. So mm-hmm. the goal was how do I make it feel like it's just a dude in an acoustic guitar? But when you listen to it, there's actually a lot of, you know, it's actually very produced and really thoughtful. Um, and there's a lot going on for repeated listenings, but that it, that, that it sort of fades in the background. Um, and that was really fun. That was a, a really just fun kind of personal challenge. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I kind of, I play a lot of instruments and I made the record kind of half in Josh Wilson's basement. He he and Becca, when they were on the road and the kids were home for the summer and it was loud in my house. So I was like, I set up shop in their basement. Then I went back into my basement when the girls went to school. It's not like a cool recording studio where I did it. And um, it's it's just kind of me grabbing instruments and making stuff. And then I wanted to have other people voices on it of my of my friends so that when i heard the songs i would hear the people who've walked with me through this season Mm, that kind of led to this record and so there's a a lot of i mean there's sort of typical background vocals but there's also just some like oohs and ahs and little melodies of voices that are just my friends um coming by and just hey can you just sing like these three notes cool thanks now when i listen to the song i hear you and that was a that was really really fun to get to do, and those are you know those are my favorite moments on the record. Is hearing somebody else. 
Desert, where, where the title come from? Uh, well, a couple years ago, I got really into old westerns, like old western novels, and started reading all these old Zane Grey books from like the 1920s, cowboy books. And just, I, I always love being out in that part of the country, and I don't get there very much, but it's just so beautiful and barren. And the last few years, it felt, you know, <laughs> like we talked about have been real kind of barren in a lot of different ways. And, but the process of, of writing these songs and making this record was trying to find the, the beauty in that. And, um, I don't know. So, so I just, that I was just looking at pictures of deserts at the library. I was waiting for my kids were doing, you know, looking at books and I, I just sort of found, found this book with these pictures of painting, uh, pictures of the painted desert. And I just thought, yeah, that's it. Um, which is funny because most of the songs talk about water. And so I thought it was going to be kind of a water theme and I just couldn't find a title that felt right. Um, and then as soon as, as soon as I thought, maybe I should call it that, everything kind of came together. Um, and then the, the, so the painted desert was, uh, first discovered by, you know, the Europeans anyway, um, by the Spanish and they called it Il Desierto Pintado, uh, which is a way cooler name too. And so that's the name of the instrumental version of the record. And I, I'm nice. going to release that as its own record. Um, because I think it's okay if it's background music. So here's background. music. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so the, themes of the album um it's it it seems like a very i don't know if this was the intent but it seems like a very psalm like um album in 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 that it's it feels like you're walking in the journey in the heartache in the sorrow not necessarily i'm out of it and it's all tied up with a nice pretty bow but more just like we're in the middle of it, and 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 just like the Psalms, there still are moments of hope through that. But um, did, is that sort of um, some of the thematic elements you were aiming for? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I wrote the songs that I needed to hear. Yeah, and I to me, they're really, really hopeful. To me, it's the most hopeful thing I've ever done. It's really honest. But yeah, um, it's not trying to be cool, and it's not trying to put a spin on it. I mean, there was a, living a lot in the Psalms in that season and in some of the Old Testament prophets like Joel and um, where just life is not easy. And 
you know, the goal of this record was, you know, for me to kind of work some things out in my own heart, but then also to create space for a listener who is in that same kind of place and is like, well, I don't need answers. I just need somebody to sit with me in this and acknowledge it and acknowledge that, like acknowledge pain or hurt or wandering or questioning or whatever. And also acknowledge that while that's a part of the story, it's not the whole story. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think that I totally um, sense that that would be a huge ministry and value to somebody who is in their own hurt or their own trouble or their own sorrow. And, and I think that's why sometimes maybe we gravitate to the Psalms is, is um, because of what you said, it's, it's brutally honest. It's, it's just, it's honest about, about, you know, not just trying to put a, a nice churchy, you know, everything's going to be okay. God is the best. You know, it's like, no, God, I, I don't know where you are in this. What's going on? And yeah. and I, I love that you kind of went to that place. I mean, you know, the, the way that God communicates with us through his word involves a lot more questions than answers. Yeah. And so I think to ask those questions is very, is very truthful. It's very honoring to the Bible. You know, it's very honoring to God to ask those questions. Um, versus putting words in his mouth that you w- wish were true. Mm. And, yeah. you know, I'm not, I know I've been guilty of that before. And then, you know, I hear other things and I go, I wonder if they're guilty of that too. They may not be, mm. but yeah. maybe in the way that I've perceived it, it's come across that way to me, you know? And I don't think this, by the way, I don't think this is like, you know, this record marks a season and we all have these seasons. And I hope that this is not, you know, I hope that people also like, listening to Justin Timberlake and dancing, you know, like it's, it's not a record for every moment. And it's not like, Oh, we need to be sad all the time. It's like, no, but it's nice to have a place to go when you are. And it's nice to have a place to go, you know? And, and so that's what it is. It's not, it's not a record for every minute of the day. I think that's kind of really nice. It's really, there's something really sweet about that. Yeah, totally. Can you tell me the story about the song, the rain? Yeah. Yeah. That one, um, it's really short, which I like songs that are really short. And um, sorry, there's some, I work in the studio now, which I just love, um, called The Art House. It's Charlie Peacock's old place. And uh, there's a couple recording studios and a big meeting space. It's, it's in an old church that got turned into a home. And uh, the studios are in the what used to be a stable of this old church. It's awesome. Um, and a family lives here and runs it. And they have a four-year-old and two-year-old boy. And sometimes they run around the studio. It's loud um, and awesome. And and they have Australian accents and it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're not my kids. So I can just tell them like, go away. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the song, the rain, man, I, because I have, I live in a little house with my own kids and I was having a hard, I felt like I had these songs I had to go write. And it's, um, it's just hard to do it in my house. So my friend Paul, who lives across the street, plays drums on most of my records and a bunch of other records that you've heard and played on your on UTR. Um, he was out of town, so I went over in his living room and just sat on his couch and wrote like six songs in two days. And um, this was one of them, and it just kind of like popped out. And I decided not to try to expand it and make it anything more, but just, you know, um, sometimes you're in a drought. Hey. 
yeah, some years bring the rain with all, you know, some years bloom and grow. Like sometimes you have the rain and it just comes and it blooms and things are growing and things are healthy. And then sometimes it's just, it's just gone. And for whatever reason, like we all go through those seasons. It doesn't matter who we are, how much money we have, how successful we are. Um, we go through these seasons of drought and then they end, you know, like there's seasons. It's like, even when there's drought, there's still seeds under the ground, you know, and there's still things that are waiting to bloom. And, um, often we don't know what's kind of been happening underground until it, until it rains again. And we see, Oh, look what's happened. There's other things were growing that we didn't even know. Um, so the song's kind of about that. Well, as you can tell, I love chatting with Andy Osenga every chance I get. He's such a great guy, so talented, uh, so phenomenal at making wonderful music, as you've heard from the from the clips. His new album, The Painted Desert, is definitely worth picking up. Uh, now, this is just the first half of this uh, conversation, and the second half, it gets kind of juicy. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, we talk about kind of the nuts and bolts of some of his songwriting process. We also um, talk about the state of the music industry at large, which gets kind of interesting. Obviously, Andy has a very unique perspective, uh, given all the roles that he's had over the years. So um, you'll want to you'll stick around for that. Um, uh, but first, let me tell you how you can get his album. If you are uh, one of the early listeners of this podcast, thank you. We love you. Uh, that means it's the first half of February, and it also means... Uh, his Kickstarter is still active. It goes through February 13th, and uh, it is already 100% fully funded, so congratulations, Andy, on that. But also, there are a couple of cool um, stretch goals that you can check out, and you get an instant download of the album uh, if you pledge to, to the campaign right now. That's the only way to get the album, which is already fully complete, so you get it instantly. Um, that's the only way to get it for several months because once the Kickstarter ends, if you're listening to this after February 13th, um, you have to wait until it releases to the public, which will be in the fall. So um, either way, this is on your must-buy list, of course. Um, so we have uh, more to dig in uh, with Andrew Osenga, and um, so we'll be right back after this quick break on Green Room Door. Greetings from Texas. This is singer-songwriter Caroline Cobb, and my friends at UTR Media have just released a new album over at Noise Trade called UTR's Best Songs of 2017. Basically, it's a mixtape of some of the most well-crafted, faith-inspired music, and I'm honored to have one of my songs on this sampler. Plus, you'll find songs by other A-plus artists like Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, John Tips, Taylor Linhart, Christopher Williams, and more. Best of all, the download of the whole album is available for free. A tip jar is available to support UTR Media, too. Find the album UTR's Best Songs of 2017 at Noise Trade or at utrmedia.org. Here's singer-songwriter Randall Goodgame. I believe the world is a better place because UTR Media is in it. And really, it comes from the passion of Dave Trout and his vision. He's really single-handedly 
curated uh, a new genre of music for that you really couldn't ever find in one place before where it's thoughtful, inspiring, creative music that all beats with the heart of the gospel. So my favorite artists are all congregated here, and um, it's people that take faith seriously but also know that they live in in a real material world. And so the people that are on UGR Media sing about the joys and the trials of the human experience. There's just nothing else like it. I'm so grateful for you, Dave Trout, and for UGR Media. You can learn more about our ministry or begin supporting at utrmedia.org. Before we go any further, I just want to make sure you know where to find Andrew and his music. Um, His website is simply his name, andrewosenga.com. And you can find him at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all at Andrew Osenga. Simple enough. All right, let's get back to our conversation. Uh, I have a question just about your songwriting process, and and this could expand beyond this album. But I'll just I'll just kind of focus on the new batch of songs. Did um, did they? Are these all songs that you sort of wrote as a batch of songs, or are these songs that maybe you have been working on and writing uh, here and there for a longer period of time? Yeah. So, like I said, I, you know, I thought I was done making records, so I didn't have any songs sitting around. Um, last year, I got asked to sing a song. Um, right before Russ Ramsey preached a sermon at Christ Prez here in Nashville on New Year's Day. And I was filling in because Casella was going to do it. He got sick. He couldn't do it. So it was like two days notice. And Russ was going to be preaching about mercy. And I'm like, I have no songs about mercy. And we were at my in-law's house in North Carolina um, the night before we were going to drive to Nashville. And so that night in their bonus room, I wrote a song about mercy so I could sing it before Russ spoke. Um, and that song was called mercy and it's on the record. So that, that song's the oldest of this batch. Then I didn't write another song for this. I wrote some like instrumental stuff and I I did some kind of film and TV advertising kind of music, but I wasn't writing songs. Then, um, like I said, I went to my friend Paul's house cause I just felt like I got to go write songs. And it kind of came on suddenly and I wrote five or six songs in in two days in his living room. And that's probably half this record just spilled out right then. Um, The rain, Carrie. The next day I I went, um, our family had been talking about, we'd been, uh, our family had been reciting the, uh, the Psalm 42 every day. We've been trying to memorize it, which is makes us sound holier than we were. We, we thought we're going to do this every week, and we've not been <laughs> great at that. But um, you know, he leads me beside still waters. His rod and staff they comfort me, and I was like, I do not feel comforted right now. But there's a lake near my house. I'm going to go to it because um, if he leads me beside still waters, there's water there, and I'm going to go there. Um, and I hope he meets me there. So I wrote that song on my phone in the little notes app walking around the lake. The joy of my salvation. 
And that was so that like it was a lot of it was written in about four days, which is not typically how I write. Like I kind of write quick and then I edit. Like I, I write with some writers like ran a good game who just kind of they work on line one for a long time and then work on line two for a long time. I tend to just write a ton of stuff and then just chop, 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 edit, 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 edit. Um, yeah. But this stuff just kind of poured out. Uh, beautiful places. I wrote at my parents' piano before my dad's retirement party in about 20 minutes because um, nobody was home at my parents' house, the house where I grew up. For, I had like half an hour and I just sat at the piano and like, I literally, the song doesn't have a chorus because my mom came home. <laughs> it's like so I stopped right stopped playing piano you know I was like hey mom and uh meanwhile I'm sitting there crying at the piano you know typically uh you know I teach a lot of people songwriting so I I'm I know a lot of the I know the way the form is supposed to work and the way that songs are supposed to move from one section to another and this record kind of ignores a lot of that advice and I think it's I, I don't know part of that's part of what I really enjoy about it so um We've done a really, really good job of not uh, really dating this episode, uh, this uh, podcast interview until right now. Um, <laughs> that gets thrown out the window because um, because I want to talk specifically about sure. how people can get the album. Yeah. So in in cyber world, we're releasing this interview early February, and so if folks are, have are listening to this. Right when it's released, then they are I think awesome people. You have a Kickstarter. <laughs> yes, they are awesome people, and uh, they. Uh, I think you your Kickstarter campaign is going on through mid February. Is that right? Yes. So I'm releasing this record kind of weird because people don't buy records anymore. But I spent some money on making it, and so I need to sell it. So what I'm doing is the record's done. It's totally done. But I'm. I'm doing a Kickstarter to raise money to pay the people back who worked on it and to put some money towards marketing. So if people support on the Kickstarter, they get an immediate download of the record. And then as soon as I'm able to, as soon as I see the email that you've supported, I copy and paste you the link to download it. Um, And then the record will come out over Spotify as singles and EPs throughout the year. And then the full record will come out uh, September or October. And the reason I'm doing that is that uh, like when Taylor Swift puts a record out every month or two, she releases a new single to radio and she gets to tell people about the whole record over the course of a year, you know, Um, independent artists. We don't get to do that. Like we have one chance to put a record out and then it's done. And then we all know these posts six months later. Hey guys, I put a record out six months ago. It's still for sale. And um, nobody's heard, you know, people who like it and have listened to it often haven't even heard the second half of the record at least that's the way i am and that's the way i know a lot of the stats seem to be uh when i look at, at play counts and and when i was working at a label and can see everybody's play counts like almost nobody got the second half of their record listened to unless there was a radio single that made people start listening at track six or track eight so what i want to do is i want to put a song on Spotify in February and then put a song on Spotify in March and then put a song on Spotify in April so that I can tell you about this song and just this song and make sure you get to hear it. And then two months later, here's some, here's another song or two, listen to these. And then that way, when the record finally comes out, I'll have had a chance to talk about most of those songs and I get to spend the whole year kind of 
promoting the record and talking about it. And it's not just kind of one week and then it's done. So if you want to get the record now, now is the time. And that it ends um, February 13th at 11.59 p.m. Central. So right before Valentine's Day. And yeah, that's it. Okay, so if you're listening to this interview post-Valentine's Day, then uh, then look for the big public release of this. Like you, you said, probably September-ish. Yeah. Unless we do Excellent. like we might so, do like one we might do like a, a little vinyl run in the summer if people are interested that might be the other time it comes out. So. Wow! All right, that sounds yeah. that does sound interesting. Very cool. So another big part of your music life is helping other people make music. So um, y- you uh, have produced a bunch of artists um, years ago and. You know, because of juggling different jobs and things like that, I th- correct me if I'm wrong. You kind of had to put down the production hat for a, f- a few years. Yeah, but it's something that you have uh, put back on now. Correct? I have. Yeah, um, not full time, but I, I I really love doing it, and uh, I just moved into, like I said, I just moved into a new studio. I'm here at the art house in Nashville, and so I have a place to make records again, which is really fun. And yeah, uh, it's it's a thing I super enjoy just getting to help an artist figure out what they want to say and the best way to say it and kind of create a frame for their artwork. Yeah, I'm really happy to get the chance to help artists do that again. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. So this is probably unfair because y- y- you could probably write a book about this, but I... I- <laughs> I ask a bunch of artists and a lot of your friends too, like for a nugget of wisdom that they often like to pass on to um, folks that are kind of up and coming artists. You probably could take that a lot of different directions. So pick a lane and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, yeah. and share a little bit of advice. Yeah. Well, I, um, you know, I actually spend a lot of my time, consulting with younger artists and I do a lot of either phone consultations or I have folks over to the studio and it's one of the things I really enjoy just helping artists who maybe haven't done this as long figure out the best way to communicate and the best way to you know to be profitable to have a healthy business and that that's not a bad thing that's a that's a good thing and man the, what I would say is uh I say there's two pieces of advice that I f- feel like I tend to give three times a day um, one is Community is essential. Um, there's a myth of the sort of tortured artist who goes into the hole by themselves and just makes this brilliant work. It's like nobody actually works that way. You yeah. know, th- those people make one great record and die. Um, they don't have yeah. strong families and <laughs> they're not happy. So I think you got to have community. You got to have people in your life who also understand what it is you do. Not everybody in your life has to understand it by any stretch, but you've got to have some people you can talk with who can both get your life and that you can learn from you guys can share knowledge and share wisdom and you can be challenged by, Ooh, that was really great. Could I be that great? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, a lot of people because music is something that is because it's a passion, because it's a thing that we started doing because we just had to, we just love it. We don't apply common sense to it. I don't know. We feel like it's special. It doesn't 
It doesn't work like everything else, but it does. And so uh, I think it's really wise to kind of have a hat that you can put on um, where you say, all right, my feelings aren't going to be involved in what, I, what I'm going to think for the next hour. Am I spending more than I'm making? Um, if I'm spending more than I'm making, being a musician is a hobby. Um, if this is a part-time career or I want it to be a full-time career, I have to make more than I spend. So what does that mean? And what that really means is setting goals and figuring out what do you want to do? You know, if I want to play at a certain place or I want to play with a certain artist, like how do I get there? If I want to have a record that I'm proud of, how do I get there? I want to write better songs. How do I get there? And so the more concrete the goal you can set, the more you can find steps I kind of work backwards and figure out how to get there. Um, so I think setting concrete goals and, uh, and having a community, those are, those are things that are essential. So um, this kind of leads into a broad topic that we'll try to try to just sort of maybe find our zoom lens on, but there are so many changes that have happened to the music industry in the last decade, even, even just the last five years and some of those changes are continuing to move forward and evolve. So what are the ways that you see the, not just the industry at large, but sort of just being a professional musician? How is that changing and evolving? How's the business side <laughs> of making music um, changing for the, maybe, maybe finding a way that is changing for the better and a way that is changing for the worse? Yeah. Oh man. Gosh, that's such a huge question. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to even know if it's changing for the better or the worse. Um, it's definitely harder in one sense. You're not selling records, so it's harder to make money dollar for dollar like it used to be, you know? Um, so, so, so maybe, maybe let me, this is just, you know, uh, me as an outsider. Yeah. Um, that like what you just said, is a really interesting statement, which is we're not in the business of selling records anymore. No, we're so, not in the business of selling records. So tell me, what are you in the business of? <laughs> uh, there's the question. <laughs> um, and so I think some people, they make music in a studio so that they have something to go sell on the road and they make a living on the road. Um, you know, historically, and by historically, I mean in the last like 60, 70 years since recorded recorded music, artists make money one of two ways. And typically an artist makes money one or the other for the most part. They make money on the road by selling tickets and t-shirts or they make money by selling music. And, every, you know, the superstars make money selling both, but almost nobody else does. So are you making music to support your going on the road? Or are you um, finding other avenues of creation or of monetizing your, your creation by like getting things in film and TV shows, getting things in advertising, um, you know, licensing your music oh, because people aren't going to buy it typically. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. It's all, it also costs so much less to make music than it used to. You know, like I'm trying to raise 18 grand for my record, which includes the recording, the duplication, the marketing, and the distribution. That's insanity. Uh, when I made my first record 
20 years ago costs $45,000 to make a horrible record with no time in a tiny little studio. And that didn't count, didn't count for distribution or marketing or duplication or any of that kind of stuff. You know, so the cost has come way down to do it, uh, which is great if you're good. It also means there's like a million other people who have stuff out there that's horrible. Um, they own gear and they can upload things, but that doesn't mean that they're putting things out that we need to listen to. Um, so, you know, it, it's nothing's ever, not, there's never been a time where the system was perfect. And now is one of those times. And so there are really great things about it. Uh, I love that people can find music anywhere. I love that uh, there's no, there's not near the cost barrier to get into making music or to get into listening music. I think that's great. As a fan of music, I love Spotify. I can go running and listen to anything I want in the world. I think it's amazing. Um, and I think, you know, the system was definitely bloated in some ways, like too bloated for years. And um, I think the people that tend to, I think wh what's true and what has almost, almost always been true is that the people that make music for a long time are rarely in it for the money. Maybe they've made money, but they're still not in it for the money. Like people that have chosen to do this for a long time, because it's really hard. There's really easier ways to make money. People have to do it because they want to, because they care about it. Um, and I think that's probably more true now than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, if you want to well, get into the nitty gritty of certain business things, like I'm happy to go down there, but. You know, yeah. it's just, by the time we put this out, it'll be different anyway. It changes so rapidly. Yeah, totally. Now, Andy Osinga, I, I do want you to um, take note uh, for um, incredibly biting my lip when it comes to the topic of Spotify. Boy, <laughs> well done, Dave Trout. boy. I know, you don't like that. I, oh, I got to clean my bleeding lip, but you know what? I, I, I will allow you the platform to say <laughs> all what you want to say. Okay, so speaking of platforms, yes. you, my friend, started your own podcast, uh, what, about about seven months ago, seven, eight months yeah, ago? something like that. Yeah, and the uh, the podcast is called The Pivot, and the idea is that it's it started out about career change, but really, it's just about people who just it's it's honestly just about people um, and change is a constant change happens to everybody. And sometimes it's career change. Sometimes it's people add hyphens to their career. I'm a songwriter now. I'm a songwriter slash author slash doctor slash whatever. Um, sometimes people make hard lefts or hard rights. Uh, sometimes health comes in or, or family things come in and just what you're doing has to stop, has to change. Um, industries die jobs disappear, all sorts of things happen. And so the idea of this podcast is to just find people that I think are really awesome and then say, so what are those changes in your life? Tell me about them. Uh, and not necessarily tell me about your new record or tell me about the greatest moment of your life, but just there was a time when you loved something and you don't do that anymore. Why? Uh, I think that's really fascinating. And I think the idea behind it is that it can encourage people who are feeling like, man, I need to make a change or, uh, or, you know, the, a lot of times we can feel like failures because we have to change. 
um, especially as artists, I know people in my line of work, like um, leaving being a musician to go do something else often feels like failure um, when really it's often the right healthy move and uh, you can be much happier and more successful elsewhere. And yeah, so I, I don't know. I just feel like that's a really fascinating topic. It's what I think about all day, every day because of my own life and because of the, the lives of my friends and my community. And I kind of feel like if we're all talking about this, I bet we're not the only people that are talking about this, but I've never heard a podcast that talked about it. So I made one. Man, good job. It, it is fantastic. It is to me, must download, must listen material. I, I, I usually, I usually devour it within 24 hours. It comes out. So, oh man, um, thank you. Just you, you do, you do such a great job. Oh man, you're so kind. Well, all I do is edit out the things I say so that it's just them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my last topic is um, touring. You yes. are in the process of. Um, uh, really for the first time in several years, yeah. uh, hitting the road, which yeah. is uh, pre- pretty awesome for those that have a chance to to get to hear your stories and songs. Oh, man. Well, you're kind to say that. Yeah, I used to tour all the time. And about four years ago, I stopped. And that was definitely the right move for me and for my family. Um, but in this season, I got this new record that I just love. And... I just want people to hear it. And so I'm not going to go, I'm not going crazy. I'm not doing 150 dates or anything, but probably about 25 shows this spring and mostly house shows because I want people to invite their friends over to their house. And I want it to feel like a conversation and feel like we're just hanging out because I think that's way more fun. And I am old and I don't like going to clubs. So I'm going to hit the road and play the, uh, the painted desert songs and some others. And, uh, I'm working on some things to make it a really fun night, even though the the record itself is kind of somber and very chill. Like I want the night to be fun and, and to be really special and engaging. And I think some of the ideas that we're working on are going to make for just really cool moments. And so I know we're going to come to Chicago and, and do a show or two with you, Dave. I'm super excited about that. And yeah, yeah. so the, I'll have the dates up in the next few days. So I don't know when this podcast is going out, but um, the schedule is getting from this week. And then the the place to go to find those tour dates is what website? Well, it will. Oh yeah, my website. I need to put tour date page on my website. That's a thing I haven't even had. Um, it'll be on andrewosinga.com. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> you know, you go to that artist's webpage and tour dates is coming soon. You're like, no, it's not. Um, I'm, I just yeah. took that page off, so I need to put that back on. That'll be, that'll be fun. <laughs> So, um, and, and then, uh, my final question just on that same topic is, um, when, when you're out traveling, um, you know, on the road, going from town to town, what are some things that you, that kind of just make your day, whether it be just like the perfect drink or the right, you know, what, what is it like that just kind of is like, oh yeah, this, this, this makes it this trip even better. Man, if I can find a cool place to run, especially either if it's like some cool woods or some kind of pretty water, like that's that's it for me. If I can just find a great place to go for a run, which is a thing I never thought I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that is now like that that that's the thing I look for all day. It used to be food and uh, I can't food can't be fun anymore cuz it hurts later. So, um it's uh, yeah, finding a place to run is and then just finding people and 
I, I'm an introvert who likes to talk, and so I need to have a lot of time by myself during the day. Because <laughs> when I go into a, a house show, it's like, and now I'm going to talk for four hours. So um, those runs are really like they sort of charge me up and give me the gas to get to be able to to be present uh, for, for those shows. And I, and I really enjoy having those conversations. And you know, over the years, just from touring a, a ton and doing Young Life work all around the country, almost all these shows, like it. You know, even if they're people who've quote unquote fans for years, it's like, man, it's all friends. Like, I'm just going to go see friends in this city, then go see friends in the city and go see friends in the city. And, and essentially just like throw an Avon party for my music. (laughs) (laughs) Come on over and I'm going to, you guys buy my record and then sell your, sell this record to your friends. And then you can have, no, um, just, it's all, it's all really a pyramid scheme. Um, no man. Yeah. Place to run and some good conversation. It's great. I probably can't say awesome. great whiskey, but that's also one of the things. I don't know if I can say that on yeah. this podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> all right, Andy, thank you so much for your time, man. Yeah. Oh, man. What a pleasure, Dave. Thank you for all you do for me, for my friends. You are the best. Well, truth be told, Andy is the best. <laughs> He's uh, so great to talk to him. And, oh, we got to really kind of go a little bit deeper and more in-depth. And, boy, we covered a lot of ground as far as topics go in that conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, and if you have a chance to get the Painted Desert, um, if you're listening before February 13th, don't miss your chance. You're going to be loving that album you know, for the whole year. And you'll be thankful that you got in on the this kind of pre-release period. So search Andrew Osenga over at Kickstarter and uh, dive in on that. Also, um, Andy is a part of uh, what we've been talking about, this uh, Rich Mullins tribute album that we want to help uh, to see uh, be made. Um, and uh, Andy's been a, kind of a part of that story. And we are sort of unveiling the story on a sister podcast called Release Date. Um, you could catch up really easily. It's a good kind of binge listen type thing. We're only um, coming up on the fifth episode, so you can easily catch up. And I'm not going to give you any spoilers uh, because Andy's role has kind of ebbed and flowed in that project, and I don't want to give it away quite yet. It'll unfold in the coming episodes. Um, And then also, uh, we have so much good stuff happening over at our website and I'm not going to you know, give you a huge laundry list, but if you are a lover of independent, well-crafted, thought-provoking, soul-enriching music, I'm guessing you are, um, that's what we geek out about. And we want to give you some free resources, uh, including um, we have those four podcasts. Um, we, obviously, this one, we mentioned release dates. We have the Gourmet Music Podcast. And uh, in fact, just this last month, we counted down the top 11 gourmet albums of last year. You don't want to miss that episode. It's one of the most listened to and most fun episodes of the year. And we also have that same countdown available uh, as a video release, too. So um, that's a fun thing to check out. Uh, and then we also have uh, the podcast Good Patron, which helps uh, you to um, support the music that you love. And we also feature some of the active crowdsourcing campaigns that are going on each month so you know, you know the artists that you want to get behind uh, in the making of their music. 
Um, we also have uh, some new videos that are coming out on the way. Just exciting things happening. And don't forget, you can also download a free album from us right now. It's on Noise Trade. It's called UTR's Best Songs of 2017. It features 15 songs by amazing artists um, who we all love, like Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors and Caroline Cobb, Christopher Williams, the Mosleys, um, John Tibbs, Son of Laughter, and there's like a half, more than a half dozen others. Um, check it out at uh, Noise Trade, or you can get it at our website as well. All the links are there. Um, that website to get all that stuff is utrmedia.org. And we love connecting with you and providing that to you. Also, find us on social media. We're at UTR Media on all the socials. So we'd love to connect with you there too. Uh, thanks for spending this time with us A Green Room Door, a production of UTR Media, which is an independent, listener-supported, non-profit ministry in Chicago, Illinois, and online at utrmedia.org.